0: The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents The Roots of Reconstruction by Rusas John Rustuni narrated by Shelby Luke.
1: Thank you for joining me this week in the reading of Roots of Reconstruction by Russus John Rushtuni. In lieu of the judgment of God across this nation, I appeal to you to listen, learn, and live as the Holy Spirit guides you in the truth of the Word of God. The words and prompting of fallible men do not hold a candle to the truth of Scripture. And the truth of Scripture will only be words to our ears unless we exhort, establish, and exercise these infallible words in every area of thought and life the church and medical ethics chalcedon medical report number 11 in one sense to speak of medical ethics is a misnomer morality is not a localized matter god's law is valid in every area of life and thought so that what is true in economics politics the ministry and the family is also true in medical practice right and wrong good and evil do not change in nature from one calling to another. In another sense, however, medical ethics is a necessary concern if seen as a concern to apply the one unchanging moral law of God to a particular sphere of life, medical practice. From this perspective, medical ethics has never been of more urgent concern to the church. To begin with, both the church and medical practice have a common concern, salvation. The word salvation is in New Testament Greek, soteria, which means deliverance, preservation, safety, victory, and health. When we are saved, we are rescued from the death of sin into the life and health of our new humanity in Jesus Christ. Salvation in its totality means the fullness of health, spiritually and physically. This is why it culminates in the world to come with our perfect sanctification and AND WITH THE END OF THE WORLD, WITH OUR RESURRECTION BODILY. OUR ENGLISH WORD SALVATION REFLECTS THIS FACT. IT COMES FROM A LATIN WORD MEANING GOOD HEALTH, SALVE. THE ADVERB SALVIO, THE VERB SALVUS, THE OBJECTIVE, AND SALUS, HEALTH, WELFARE, PROSPERITY, DELIVERANCE, SOUNDNESS, OR PRESERVATION. In the ministry of our Lord both aspects of salvation are very clearly evident. Paul says, quote, "If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature or creation; all things are passed away; behold, all things are become new." Unquote. 2 Corinthians 5:17. Our Lord tells Nicodemus that a man must be born again of the Spirit. John 3:2-5. But this is not all. Our Lord tells us that He brought physical and social health and healing to men: Quote, "The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them." Unquote. Matthew 11:5. For Christians, healing, in example, medical practice is a religious practice and salvific activity. This means that medicine is a priestly vocation and calling. For this reason, historically the church has fought for the sanctity of the confessional. What is confessed to a pastor is a confession made with a healing of the soul and mind. The pastor hears at God's command to administer the word of God to the sick soul. This is privileged communication. It is between man and God and is related to private prayer. The same is true of all communications between a patient and a doctor. It is a form of confession for the purpose of healing. The doctor is God's agent in the process, and the communication is privileged. Because in recent years we have forgotten this religious character of doctor-patient relations, we have allowed the state to make inroads on its immunities. Next, we must remember that while God's moral law is the same for every man and for every calling, there are God-imposed limitations of functions in the various spheres. One example is the death penalty. It applies to all men in all callings and spheres of life. But not all men can apply it. In Scripture, all but one of the basic powers control of children, property, inheritance, education, and welfare are given to the family, and the death penalty is withheld. The church has important powers, but not the death penalty. The same is true of medical practice, of healing. Like the church, medical practice must concern itself with restoring and strengthening life, with fighting off death rather than execution. For the church or the doctors, to embark on a program of executions is thus immoral and offensive. On the other hand, given our current situation of lawlessness and crime, for the state to restore and use the death penalty is emphatically a moral step. We can and must do as citizens things we cannot morally do as doctors, and vice versa. All callings are under God's law and are required to obey it, but each domain or sphere has a limitation of duties and of powers. For medical practice, thus, to kill means a fundamental violation of God's moral order. This means, first, that doctors must not be executioners, killing men because they may truly deserve to be executed. This is the state's function, not the doctor's. This means, second, that what is forbidden to the state to kill the innocent is doubly forbidden to doctors, In example: euthanasia and abortion, for example. Third, for any sphere to exceed its God-appointed area is to play God. The power to kill is not given to the family. It is the realm of nurture, not of death. The same is true of the church. For the church to usurp the power of family or of state would be to deny its calling and to play God. The doctor has a related role. As we have seen, medical practice is a religious, a priestly vocation because it has to do with health. To take human life by abortion or euthanasia is a violation of the calling to heal. But this is not all. There is a relationship, too, between medical practice and the family. Despite the present anti-Christian trends in medicine, the term family doctor still survives. Like the family itself, the family doctor has a nurturing role to nurture life. Medical schools seem to have forgotten this fact, Medical offices seek increasingly to be impersonal and scientific, cold in their appearance and their crisp methodology. Physicians fail to understand why their profession is often held in disrespect. First, the casual acceptance of murderers, an example abortionists, as fellow colleagues in medical associations certainly does not make for a moral regard for doctors. The old saying, quote, he who lies down with dogs will rise up with fleas unquote, is a valid one. Pro lifers and pro abortionists may disagree as to the percentage of those in opposition to abortion and euthanasia, but whichever figures we take, it is a very sizable body of people, many, many millions. On the whole, the moral outrage of millions of people is shared by too few doctors. This most certainly works against the entire profession. Second, when medical offices cultivate a scientific error which is sterilized against personal kindliness, the results are hardly conducive to good, quote, public relations, unquote. The answer on the part of some aggravates the problem. It is no remedy for a doctor to start calling patients he meets for the first time by their first name. It is a public relations ploy, and it is demeaning and condescending. Public relations ideas are no solution to a failed sense of vocation. The sense of vocation of a calling is needed in medicine and in every area of life. Here again, a major problem is a false view of science. Students are given quote scientific, unquote, aptitude tests. The tests tell them what they should be, not their personal goals and sense of mission something now becoming rare. The school counselor adds insult to injury. If the student's aptitude test indicates that he is fitted by abilities for medicine or for engineering, he is then told of the job situation in his field. Does it seem overcrowded at the moment? He is urged to look towards some of his secondary aptitudes. Thus, the two prime factors or considerations are first what a supposedly scientific test tells him, and second, what supposedly scientific surveys of that field say about job opportunities. Given this process, the amazing thing is that we have as many good doctors, dentists, lawyers, etc. as we do. Science has preempted the doctrine of calling with the idea of scientific determination. In the process, life has been made barren. How important this point is was made apparent in a recent letter from Philip Spielman, a notable figure in Berkeley, California, in arguing for abortion, objected to the argument that abortion kills persons. The term person, he held, escapes definition. It is, as some hold, a verbal fiction, and the only way to know what a person is, is to define the term legally. Such a perspective means that people of any age or race can be declared non-persons and denied the right to life. Charles Rice, a professor of law, has called attention to the fact that the legal groundwork for such a step has already been laid. In one sense, the Berkeley man was right. If we do not know God as the supreme person, we have no grounds for defining anyone as a person we then become simply a fortuitous concourse of atoms, coming from nowhere and going nowhere. Then, too, life is simply an epiphenomenon, not a reality. There can thus be no medical ethics if there are no biblical ethics. If we undermine God's law word, we undermine all areas of life and thought and every vocation. To restore and improve medical ethics, we must restore and develop biblical ethics, God's law word, within the realm of the church. The church is where the crisis began, and the church is where we must begin the restoration. Medicine's Mechanical Model Chalcedon Medical Report Number 12 Every area of life and study has its presuppositions, its starting points. Whether it be science or politics, certain axioms or paradigms of thought form the premise of all life, study, and research. A false premise can become progressively more dangerous for men and nations. It is thus essential that presuppositions, paradigms, or axioms be analyzed to determine whether or not they are true or false. The medical model of Western culture is centuries old. Its roots are in Greco-Roman thought, in paganism, and although Christian influences are present and at times have been strong, the pagan element is now dominant. Dr. Magnus Verbrug, M.D., in Alive live Ross House books, has shown how costly it is for science to bypass the biblical view of life. Scripture tells us that God created man out of, quote, the dust of the ground, unquote, and by the miracle of his ordination. Man, quote, became a living soul, unquote, Genesis 2, 7. The word soul means life or living being, not the Greek idea of spirit. The key to the definition of man is not material or immaterial, but life. Man is created life, and if he separates himself from God by sin, he dies. Genesis 2.17 Our Lord says, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes on me, though he die, yet shall he live and whosoever liveth and believeth on me shall never die, unquote. John 11, 25 through 26. Life is thus a religious fact, inescapably so. To forget this is dangerous. The pagan mechanical model does ignore this fact. In my student days, textbooks declared consciousness to be an, quote, epiphenomenon, unquote, and dismissed it together with the fact of life as vague, imprecise, and non-scientific questions. The implications for medicine from the time of the Greeks have been very serious and are now becoming deadly. The mechanical model sees the body as a material and even mechanistic thing. We all know how to deal with mechanical things to some degree. An automobile will not run without gasoline, so we add gasoline and all is well. When it requires oil, We add oil, lest the motor burn up. When mechanical parts wear out or malfunction, we exchange them for new parts. This is the dream and concept which governs much of modern medicine. It also governs fiction and films. A few years ago, a popular television series featured a bionic man. When his parts malfunctioned, he went to a medical, quote, shop, unquote, to have them repaired or replaced. This is, of course, a silly dream. All of us, as we get older, become partially, quote, bionic, unquote, as we wear spectacles or glasses to see better, or a hearing aid to hear better, or even a wig or toupee to look better. But no man in his right mind prefers his, quote, bionic parts, unquote, to the living parts he was born with. There is, however, much, much more to the mechanical model than this. The mechanical model produces not only a distorted medical practice, but a dangerous one. The idea of man being a person created in the image of God is bypassed. Life is no longer seen as a religious fact, but a legal definition, as Dr. Troels Rice has pointed out. In matters of abortion, the courts now determine what constitutes a person, and an unborn child is now not legally a person, He is defined as a piece of tissue. Many millions of people affirm this, and they are logical, given the presuppositions of modern thought. Only because they are the creation of God does their conscience still trouble them. Because of the mechanical model, euthanasia is now practiced in many parts of the world. The elderly are seen as old, worn-out models, now useless and fit only for the human junk pile. Given their presuppositions... In example, the mechanical model, this idea is logical. At the same time, medical practice is pursuing this mechanical model with intense zeal. The spare parts idea is cultivated, aborted babies are a source of raw materials, and the dying are cannibalized for spare organs. Both the moral factor and the fact that the body works to reject these alien parts are sidestepped. Somehow, The spare parts idea is going to be made to work. There are hints here and there that this kind of medical practice is not the wonder-working breakthrough that the press would have us believe. In any case, increasingly, some people feel that they have a quote, right, unquote, to spare parts when they need them. On one trip, I was told of the pressures put on some heart-sick and grieving parents to sign over their child's body for parts while the child was still fighting for life. One wonders, given the contempt for life shown by some of these medical men, can they be trusted with the life of a perhaps dying child whose, quote, parts, can be used elsewhere? In the Netherlands, the elderly are increasingly afraid to go to the hospital, lest they be, quote, put to sleep, unquote, or killed. In the United States, some older people are promising their husband or, wife, never to send them to a hospital if they become seriously ill. This should not surprise us, given the mechanical model, doctors and families will alike show less and less respect for life. What is urgently necessary, therefore, is a strictly Christian model for medical practice. This will take time and serious thought to develop. It must begin with systematically biblical presuppositions and with humility. We have had non-mechanical models, such as holistic medicine, but these are still alien to Scripture and heavily influenced by Oriental mysticism. It is strange that some who resent any reference to the biblical model are still ready at times to experiment with such things as acupuncture. They prefer any answer by man rather than one by God. The ultimacy of man's word seems to be their presupposition. Time is running out, given the mechanical model and what is to prevent some tyrants from declaring various groups of people to be non-persons. Marxism and fascism have already done this politically and medically. With abortion, the democracies have followed suit. Nothing is more foolish than to believe that either time or ideas will stand still. They move on. And the mechanical model in medicine means a variety of deadly possibilities. Today, most people believe in the medical model and are constantly, quote, popping pills, unquote, taking drugs as the answer to their problems. They believe that adding some pills to their system will be like putting gasoline in a car tank. It will make them go. Many demand pills from their weary doctors in the confidence that some additive to their inner machinery will solve their problems. Of such illusions are evils and tyrannies made. Thank you for joining me this week in the reading of Roots of Reconstruction by Bruce's John Rushby. Lord willing, we will be reading again next week. Until then, may God bless your endeavors as you serve the one and only King Jesus. It was the blood of Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, the love he has shown us by his pain, the very price. It was there at Calvary. And follow the road leading us home. love, tell the world how Jesus Christ has set
0: you free, set you free. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology.